Hi, I'm Jeremy Hall, and you're listening to the Kingdom Ethics Podcast. With me as ever is Dr. David Gushy. How's it going, David? Good, Jeremy. I'm glad we've worked our way through this book, and I hope that our listeners have been enjoying these overviews. The I know I have, and we've gotten good feedback, so I'm feeling good. Our numbers are looking great. Thank you, listeners, for being with us. Um, this is not a surprising place for you to have ended the book for anyone who's familiar with your work. The We've worked through the whole thing. What is democracy? How does it work? What are alternatives? The ARC section with all the... Tr- the uh, the countries and the historic profiles. We've looked at the Baptist tradition, the black church tradition in the United States. And then as a sort of, what do we do now, dear reader, um, conclusion, I was not surprised to see the word covenant, but maybe others are. Cause this is, that sounds like religious language. So Mr. The state doesn't need to be Christian. Why are we having a, why, why is it a covenant and not a contract or a constitution or something else? I, um, I started to head in this direction when I was following Glenn Stassen into the thickets of reading about the Puritans in the uh, 1500s and 1600s. And what they were their language was covenantal and it was drawn from their deep commitment to the bible notably the covenantal framework of the old testament right that uh and what they wanted was um for the people of england these puritans in england in the late 1500s and 1600s and briefly they had it when they had control of the government with cromwell um they wanted England to understand itself to be in covenant with God, just like the Jewish people understood themselves to be in covenant with God in the Old Testament. Um, now, as you rightly said, now hold on, Gushy, where's the where's the liberty here, right? So, um, but what I'm doing is I'm I'm taking a, the term, I'm acknowledging its historical use, and I'm wanting to take it take it in a little bit of a different direction um here's some things that i like about it um a covenant um to say that we're in a we're in a covenant with say let's say let's say we're in a covenant with god and with our fellow citizens let's say that okay okay so um that would mean that when I look around at the mall or the, the mall, what the mall or 285 or um, uh, or in any other setting, these are not just strangers. These are people w- with whom I have a relationship. And even if the relationship is just fellow citizens, that relationship matters. I, I live in community with them. Um. As Christians, I argue um, that that we should think of ourselves as being covenantally connected to the people in our country, not just in our country, but but let's start there. So, and that means that I approach public life not just asking 
what's in it for me, but what is in it for everybody? What does the common good look like for everybody? I, before God, I want to be covenantally connected to my neighbors. Um, also, and I think this brings the point home even more clearly, um, that covenant is part of how we should think about government service. When, um, when a police officer um, is, is relating to citizens, we want that police officer to have a sense of um, connectedness to, to the people that they are engaging and a sense of obligation to, if not to God, at least to the community, to exercise restraint, justice, and fairness, right? When you have a district attorney or um, a president or um, a principal of a school, we know that we need people in leadership who don't just exercise arbitrary power, but are aware of the, the proper limits and exercise of their role. Um, right. And so what I'm saying is I want to be governed by people who, who think that of their, of their exercise of power as a covenantal trust. So it forms a partnership sort of paradigm. The police yeah. officer who has pulled you over is not your opposition. You are partners working towards just and safe society. That's right. And the attorney general, who is the one who supervises the enforcement of the law um that person in a state or in the federal system exercises an enormous amount of power if he or she abuses that power there's a great deal of injustice that will be done mm -hmm. so if they have a sense of their of the limits or a judge how about a judge when you go to court you want you want people who feel the gravity of their covenantal responsibilities. Rather than just the power of it. That's right. So someone who yeah. holds the gavel and wears the fancy robe for the sake of their community, not for the control of it. That's right. That's right. And um, so what if we think about the principal, the police officer, the DA, the judge, the attorney general, um, Give me some other roles. President. We're about to president. enter a, a presidential yeah. election cycle. Are these one of my, as a, a young libertarian thinker in college, um, one of my catchphrases was, I don't want to be ruled by anyone who wants to rule me. Hmm. And that fits in this paradigm as well. I don't want to vote for someone who's excited to be the the powerful the leader the governor i want the president to be someone who thinks of themselves it's certainly as leader but as first among equals as head citizen as the uh -huh. executor of our partnership yes uh, and so the language i'm using there is the one who is setting the the leading example of the covenantal exercise of power. That's why slogans matter to me. When I look at the people, people tend to tell us who they actually are more than we think they do. When a campaign chooses a slogan, it's telling us something. 
not just catchy, but you, you can deconstruct and decode these to what's actually happening. One of the things I do when I get into a new community is look up that police department's slogan because they're mm. it's not protect and serve. That's that's only up at the top. Every department makes their own. Uh, here in Pensacola, the thing that's stamped under Pensacola PD is courtesy, integrity, professionalism. That tells us something about their culture of how they're running that organization. The part of North Atlanta that I lived in, their slogan, which they wrote in Latin, was, we lead, you follow. Really? Yes. Wow. It's it's on all their... Uh, my kids went to a, like, meet police officers, touch a fire truck kind of day, and all the paraphernalia, the little cups and sticker badges from that part of Atlanta's police department written in Latin. I had to go look it up. My Latin's not that great. Uh, was something like, we we lead, the people follow. See, that's more of an authoritarian understanding of power. Um, courtesy, integrity, professionalism. I mean, it's, a, it's in a sense, what they're saying is, these are our values, or, um, or another way to say it is, our covenant. Right. Our covenant promise to you as citizens is we will treat everyone with courtesy, integrity, and professionalism, and we can be held to account. Part, part of the idea of a covenant is um, accountability. I use covenant language. So when, as a minister in marriage spaces, I use covenant language, and yeah. I build into my, uh, my nuptials, into my uh, wedding service, a list of things that covenant means. And one of those is that we outline consequences. If you yeah. break this covenant, we all know what happens. That there yeah. are consequences for breaking the covenant and reward for keeping it. So, um, so I call in the book for, uh, for the recovery of this language of covenant. Um, it also helps to make sense of, um, like, for example, I say, Donald Trump has does not have a track record of honoring covenants. Well, that depends on which wife you ask. <laughs> yeah, so if you look at marriage, if you look at business, if you look at the various lawsuits, not a good track record. Um, and you notice that in our inaugural ceremonies, we have the, the new president put his hand on a Bible and essentially make a covenant that the, the language of that covenant is prescribed in the Constitution itself. Um, and so I don't want covenantalism to just be merely ceremonial. I want people, I want pastors and university presidents, anybody who has power, I want to know their understanding of what their covenant is with the people that they are in power over. And, and also, the use of the language of covenant in the, in the book um, speaks to uh, the idea that our covenant in the U.S. was damaged from the beginning because it did not include everybody. Mm -hmm. There and, was sin in the relationship at the start. Yes. And so, and that sin never went away because there, there's always an impulse on the part of some to want to recover the original covenant. 
the one that was flawed from the beginning, the one that was sinful with its exclusion and its oppression. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that sin has never been properly confessed. That's right. A large right. portion of our society recognizes it and can talk about it and such, but a lot of it, we, the United States never had truth and reconciliation. That's right. And so we have a lot of code, code speak and double talk and just not willingness to talk about, about the history. Um, also, this also makes it problematic if you're going to be quote unquote originalist related to the Constitution and your reading of the Constitution as a judge, for example, then that means you're, you're essentially ratifying over and over and over again the flaws of the original covenant and saying that's what it should be. So, uh, so I, I take the side that we need to evolve towards a more perfect covenant in which everybody is included. And I use the language of renewing the democratic covenant intentionally because Martin Luther King used that language. I noticed that uh, Raphael Warnock uses covenantal language. Um, it is it is a religious legacy. Um, and I don't want to, as I said, I don't want to say now we're going to try to have some national covenant between us and God. This is not the religious right. But it's the idea that we need a vision as Christians for what we want in the public square. And I think we could do worse than encouraging the language of covenant, um, which involves special responsibilities for those in power, but also could be deeply uh, meaningful for any citizen as we think about what it is that we are committed to doing and being as citizens in this country. Yeah, that covenant language unites the participants in a completely unique way when we actually give it the weight. That's right. And I, you know, I didn't talk about covenant much in my work until relatively recently, but marriage is a good place to start there. And if you want, okay, where do we see people with a covenant? When people make promises on their wedding day, they're making a covenant. Though some of that language is being lost. It's true. Yeah. Uh, Contract language has replaced it in some spaces. Um, The covenant, (laughs) covenants don't just end. We've made marriage very easy to get out of. I recently refused to do a wedding, um, which I've, I reserve the right to do. Part of my role as minister is to say, no, this is a bad idea. Um, they would own, I was required to say, as long as we both shall love. Mm. That's, not how, <laughs> that's not how this works. Right. So you wouldn't do that. No, yeah. had to. Someone else did the wedding. It, I mean, they're married. I wish them the very best. I hope right. their love lasts. Yes, I would never do that either. Um, but I, I do think, in and I have found that in premarital instruction, sometimes a really fruitful question is, "What covenant are you promising here? What what are you? What covenant promises are you making?" And so, if you go over the language of the ceremony, um then there's a lot of covenant promises that are being made, right? Citizens, you know, the only American citizens who are aware of making a covenant are naturalized citizens. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't have to swear an oath or take a test or put my hand on any book to become an American. Yeah. Um, We were just born with it. But I think it's the naturalized citizens who had to study who had to make promises. Uh, I want to see if we can find if there's a um, pause here, see if we can find what it is that they promise. 
Let's see. Um, Naturalized citizen oath. All right, got it. What does it say? Let's see. Oh, it's a touch long. The oath. I hereby declare an oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiances and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, state, or sovereignty of whom or which I have hitherfore been a subject or citizen. That I, if, if English is not your first language, uh, that I will support and defend the Constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I will bear arms on behalf of the United States when required by the law, that I will perform non-combatant services in the armed forces of the United States when required by law, that I will perform work of national importance under civilian direction when required by law, and that I take this obligation freely without mental reservation or purpose of evasion, that's also in the President's Oath, uh, so help me God. Wow, that's so interesting, isn't it? There's so much war. Yeah. The, I want to know when this was written, because its concern is, will you go to Europe and fight? Yeah, I think it goes. It must go back a long way. Um, but even that last language, a covenant, the thing about a covenant is it is, a, it is an intentional, willful choice. Another interesting thing about a covenant is, like in a marriage covenant, you make, you freely, remember how that's in that language? You, I, nobody's making me do this. Mm-hmm really make a promise which binds your freedom for the rest of your life. That's what a marriage ceremony really says. I'm standing up here and I'm making a promise freely, which I am now not going to be free to unmake. This oath went into effect April 1st, 2004. Interesting. Maybe it adapted earlier. Yeah, that's, that's when they added, um, it looks like, the the bit about willing to do work if required by law. Interesting. Um, in, anyway, at the end of the book, I, um, I I juxtapose. Remember how in Joshua's like the two ways passage? You mm-hmm. know, you can, do this, you can do that. Is that Joshua or is that Deuteronomy? No, Deuteronomy. That's uh, uh, the end of Moses' big sermon. That's right. Choose today. Uh, Choose today. And then so Joshua the, says it too. Joshua starts off his with choose today who you will serve. Okay. But at it's Moses who book, says, I put before you a blessing and a curse. Yeah. I do a kind of a two ways move at the very end of the book. Um, uh, the authoritarian reactionary move or the pro-democratic move. So I say we could embrace anti-democratic political authoritarianism. We could look for a Christian strongman to save us. Um, we could seek an official or unofficial end to the separation of church and state. We could hunker down into a culture wars fight to the finish against our liberal adversaries. We could embrace nationalism, militarism, and imperialism. We could reverse gains for social equality. We could fire ourselves up for about a battle of good versus evil. We could decide that the gentle virtues taught by Jesus must be suspended in such a time as this. Or we can reject this path, and then I talk about 
reconnecting with the democratic tradition, the democratic strains of the Christian tradition, the black Christian tradition, covenantalism. Remind that God is against tyranny. Remember how bad it is or was when religious majorities were able to impose their beliefs in violation of the consciences of dissenters. Learn to accept living in societies with profound diversity of belief. Remember the Bible's constantly articulated concern for those on the margins. Renew our commitment to the political, civil, social, and economic rights of all of our fellow citizens. Commit to a covenantal understanding of democracy. Stand against deterioration of Christian identity. Draw on the spiritual resources available to us through union with Christ to renew our service to our neighbors. Commit to a renewed practice of public witness to Christian values without seeking to impose them on others. I conclude with this line, democracy, while flawed, still appears to be the best available political ordering of human community. It is not the final end of life. That ultimate destiny is eternal communion with God. And yet here on this earth, democracy is still worth our support, even if, even if necessary, by defending democracy from its Christian enemies. Drop mic. Boom. Close the book. Thanks, Chairman. Well, thank you. This has been this has been fantastic. And, and listeners, thank you. I've got um, another bonus episode that's going to drop. So don't unsubscribe. Uh, stay in the loop, and you'll get uh, updates about more content coming soon thank you for joining us if you'd like to talk back you can find david or myself at our respective websites we're on most of the socials we're easy to find uh davidpgushy.com revjeremyhall.com we're pretty good at getting back uh, on messages and emails thank you so much thank you for joining us this has been kingdom ethics